A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about two men. One a straight-laced professional, the other a carefree sex pot, who switch lives after they drunkenly urinate together in a magical fountain. Hold on, sorry, that's... Uh... <laughs> That's not what this podcast is about. That's the plot of the 2011 comedy The Change-Up, starring Jason Bateman and Ryan Reynolds. This is actually a podcast about two men. One, a straight-laced professional, the other a carefree sex pot, who sit around and discuss films. One of them is me, Sam Foster, and the other is Danny Moran. Haven't really specified. Well, I think the listeners can work out. I think it's pretty obvious who's who there. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, cleared my throat. (laughs) Katie normally cuts that sound out, but yeah, Mm. we treat you to that. Indeed. On this episode of Filmjet, I review overblown camp sci-fi fantasy space romp, (laughs) Jupiter Ascending. And we both give Fifty Shades of Grey a good going over, but only after getting the film's signed consent. Cannot stress (laughs) that enough, it was very consensual. Brilliant. Thank you. Correspondence. Correspondence. We've, we've had a few. We've had a few. <laughs> As uh, Sinatra once sang, we've had a few. <laughs> sorry, sorry if this seems... We haven't been drinking or anything. It's just got off to an unusually giggly start. So, we reviewed Salma and Shaun the Sheep last week. Despite being one of the greatest films ever made, Shaun the Sheep has not attracted very much comment from our listeners. Um, however, we had a comment from Catherine Mackridge about Salma. She says, loved Selma. I think it naturally kind of downplayed, Hollywoodized the difficult sides of the civil rights movement slash MLK's affairs. Um, But it was a film about a specific event, so it hasn't claimed to be a comprehensive history of civil rights in the USA. I thought the acting was brilliant. Tim Roth, why you so creepy? And the timeline's generally truthful, despite a weird encounter with Malcolm X, which I'm pretty darn sure didn't go like that. I'd had a very tough day at work, and basically any time MLK made a speech, I cried with joy because I was so tired, and I just love social justice so much, and generally cry in the cinema a lot anyway. So kind of um, 
Jesus Christ. You know, perfect storm of uh, things that will <laughs> produce tears. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think of a film which has even more uh, social justice speeches in it. You know, something that would just reduce Catherine to just a wreck. There must be a super cup, The West Wing out there or something that would just kill her. That's true, yeah, something just like that. dehydrate her to the point of death. Well, she was a bit tired when she watched it and she was it was at a cinema <laughs> screening. <laughs> Could be dangerous. Could be dangerous. Look out for that. She says, The message is current, though, in the sense that throughout many of MLK's sermons and speeches in the film, I was thinking of hashtag Black Lives Matter and the like. So hard to predict how it will sit Oscar-wise in the USA. Unfortunately, uh, it's all too easy to predict how it will sit Oscar-wise because it's only had two nominations, one of which is for Best Song. Which is obviously going to the Lego movie. Which will... (laughs) Everything is awesome. Go probably get a Lego movie. And because it's only other nominations for Best Picture, that does not make it a very likely candidate to win Best Picture, although it would be amazing if it did. Yeah. I mean, I would still rather Boyhood won, but it would be kind of amazing if Selma did win, given that the Academy was kind of admitting that why is it not nominated for any other um, categories? I wish I'd done a bit of research now. I wonder how much of the Academy is black, or not white, maybe, not white males. I think almost all of them are white. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't done the research, but I can confidently predict that the vast majority are white. What? Oscar voters. Oh, our uh, researcher is is chiming in. Oscar voters are ninety four percent white and seventy six percent male. Thank you very much. According to Brilliant. the Atlantic. So, in other words, an exact representation of the human race. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I last time I checked. On average, sixty three years old. All <laughs> <laughs> the white guys. So basically, Bill O'Reilly's but audience. All of them, my fucking dad. <laughs> and that man is he's hopelessly senile. <laughs> he's hopelessly out of touch. And racist. I'm quite racist. So he's not racist. Come on. Sorry. More correspondence. We received a lovely letter from Dougal McQueen. Oh, I always love hearing from Dougal. We all like hearing from Dougal. He says, Dear Film Chat, I want to whine at you, and maybe you can take up my whine with the cinema chains over whom I know you possess Masonic influence. We do. We do. So basically, I want to see Selma, because it was released recently, nominated for an Oscar, looks great, etc, etc. But I don't live in London. I live on an island in a lake, in an island, in a lake, in the middle of a haunted bog. So cinema choice is poor. All the cinemas within a 10 mile radius either aren't showing Selma at all, or have it on only once a day at dinner time or breakfast time. I'm eating you fucks. Basically, it's a ball ache. But it makes sense because the poor sods hardly have a spare second to sponge the seats clean between screenings of 50 fucking shades of fucking grey. At a view cinema I like, they're showing it 14 fucking times a day. What a strongly worded letter from Dougal. It's almost filthier than the film itself. Please have a whispered word at your next lodge meeting and sort this shit out. I'll do that. We'll do that, Dougal. You made a persuasive case, and so next time we... Uh, have our meeting with the major cinema chains at the lodge. Uh, we'll raise that point. You know, well, cinemas—they're just—they're just businesses. You know, they go where the money is. Exactly. So everyone needs to be less horny and more interested in civil rights. But it is—it is definitely a problem that even relatively mainstream movies with wide appeal are getting sidelined. Yeah. Uh, the the major cinemas are so keen on pursuing. Uh, one of the things that will make money is that they only show the one film that is going to be huge and like every single screen and it's well yeah I guess just because it's oh, a that's bit an of, increasing issue yeah but Fifty Shades of Grey is more than this later I guess but it's just a sort of license to print money yeah so it's like they're going to make Haywell the uh, the sex shines um, absolutely <laughs> yes so <laughs> your farming background showing itself there you should look for um, an independent cinema in the uh, haunted bog you live in. I'm Dougal. surprised any cinemas <laughs> even there. You'd be fine for what you have. Um, there's more uh, specific to Fifty Shades, which is our big movie this week. But uh, we will get to that when we get to it.
And that is the end of the show. Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. Mmm, the elixir of news. Okay, so this news broke last week, but we didn't get around to talking about it. But a historic contract has gone through from Sony. Uh, Sony, who own the option rights on Spider-Man, have signed a deal with Marvel Studios so the character can now appear in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yay! So Spider-Man will make an appearance in Captain America 3 Civil War, and from then on, if negotiations go well, I guess he can appear in any Marvel Universe films. Yeah. Like him and Star-Lord probably... and Iron Man, <laughs> they can all hang out at the same time! Yes! I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's my favourite universe. Yes, but the one drawback to this is that Andrew Garfield is out. Apparently they asked him if he wanted to uh, continue with the role but he said he didn't think it made sense. Didn't he he say something like, I've met Robert Downey Jr. He's a fucking bellend. I will have nothing to do with him. I think he also said that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Garfield's out and Mm -hmm. you know the the part needs to be recast fairly soon. So I'm you know I know a lot about films know a lot about actors. (laughs) I'm pretty much a casting agent. No one's hired me yet but my instincts are impeccable. What better man to suggest? Okay so I'm going to fire... I've got three really good suggestions. They're all solid gold, but I just want your feedback on them. Number one, Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis? Right, okay. Well, will he be just mo-capping, or will he be... Well, here's my logic, okay? He's played men before. Yeah. He's played animals before. (laughs) Admittedly, most of them were primates. (laughs) He could play a spider or a man. That's true. So, Spider-Man... Yeah. A lot of visual effects experience. He's got his own studio. Mm-hmm. Could do the accent. The one drawback is that he's 50 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And he, and he sort of looks like a kind of weathered sea captain. Okay. Uh, option number two. <laughs> Juliette Binoche. Juliette Binoche? Yeah. Well, I Indisputably, thought... a brilliant actress. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Uh, has blockbuster fair. She was in Godzilla most recently. She was in Christoph Kozlowski's Free Colors trilogy. So she's used to multi-film contracts. Mm-hmm. And the colors <laughs> blue and red. <laughs> but I think the real question is <laughs> is the world ready to see Peter Parker being played by a 50 year old French woman I don't know I mean Marvel take risks don't they okay. that's the whole thing <laughs> and also okay my third and my personal pick is um, Sir Christopher Lee wow yeah you know he's worked on the Star Wars films the Lord of the Rings films he's got fancy he's, experience exactly um, very experienced actor he's got over 200 credits <laughs> the one slight drawback is that he's 92 <laughs> years old <laughs> Apparently they're looking to cast someone who could play sort of 16 to 17. <laughs> it's funny how old he is. Um, he's so old. Uh, maybe I'm just a bit tired, I don't know. I'm really uh, used yeah. to tears by the number 92. <laughs> he's got to be one of the few working professionals in any industry whatsoever, who is 92 years old. Just incredible. We already we just watched him in The Hobbit, just like literally in a sword fight. It's remarkably resilient. I didn't see why, um, I didn't see why he shouldn't be Spider-Man. <laughs> Can you imagine him and Chris Hemsworth and Robert <laughs> hanging out? <laughs> yeah, especially him playing, you know, 17. Yeah, why not? I yeah. think they should go for that, absolutely. <laughs> Who's going to play uh, Mary J. Watson? <laughs> I think there should still be Emma Stone. Oh, no, wait, no, no, she was Donald playing... Donald Glover. Donald Glover to be Mary Jane Watson. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Why Donald Glover when they could get Danny Glover <laughs> play Spider-Man? Wait, Danny Glover is Spider-Man and Donald Glover is Mary Jane. I, I actually had thought that Donald Glover would make quite a good Spider-Man. I think yeah. that would be pretty good. So does he. Oh, really? There's is like an really... internet campaign. Oh, really? Because um, I said that I came up with that in my own in my own brain. Oh, my God. Yeah. You're, you're, your really real brain is so on the pulse of the My finger on the nation. internet's pulse, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of reboots, news broke recently that New Line Cinema are considering rebooting Shaft, um, that classic property. Yes. Um, and what better time to have a black hero than in the resurgent racial tensions that yeah, yeah. have been sweeping Seems America. Yeah, yeah. So, as you've been looking into who'd be a good Spider-Man, I've also been looking into who might make a good Shaft. So I've got a couple <laughs> of suggestions of my own, which will... Sweet, lay it on me. ...all be making the final edit. Um, <laughs> first of all, I'd like to start with the obvious choice, yeah. Naomi Watts, right? Yes. Can she do for Shaft what she's done for Diana? Uh, really make that role her own. Yes. You know, played in probably a similar way. Do you think the world I'm, is... I'm John Shaft. <laughs> That sort of acting. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Cut glass, English <laughs> accent. That's the ultimate in colourblind casting. Exactly. Here's my second suggestion. Um, <laughs> Lizo Mzimba. Um, Mzimba from, 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 from Newsround. From Newsround. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's got gravitas. Yeah. He knows how to perform. And, and everyone loves him. And he's well respected. He's highly respected. Yeah. And, you know, I think he'd bring a lot to the role. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be brilliant. <laughs> he'd be perfect. Um, Wendell Pierce. Um, Bunk from bunk. Uh, from The Wire. He's yeah. also recently been in Selma as um, part of Martin Luther King's entourage. Yeah, he's a bit heavy. A little on the heavy side. A heavy. He's a little on the heavy side for uh, for Shaft. But yeah, traditionally, Shaft has been a more physically fit man. But um, <laughs> he's got a lot of charm. Yeah. You know, he's got uh, he's badass. Yeah. Okay. He's in the bunk. <clears throat> My final suggestion it will be a bit. This will be a bit more like left field, but <laughs> Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> What do you think? Uh, Icky Breaky Heart. (laughs) (laughs) Billy Ray. He's incredible. He he needs he needs a vehicle. Yeah. Then it's his time. (laughs) It's time. His daughter's his daughter's a big hit. (laughs) She reinvented herself. Yes. So the Cyruses constantly reinvent themselves. Yeah. So why can't Billy Ray reinvent himself as a (laughs) as shopped? This is far too silly. Oh God! It used to be a serious serious podcast. Okay, I've got I've got some more serious news. No, well, the one bit of news today was that there's going to be an Alien 5 Oh, Neil that's Blomkamp. Right. Yeah. Neil Blomkamp. Neil Blomkamp. He's going to find a way to bring South Africans and ramshackle robots into... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Alien 5. Uh, other breaking news this morning is that there's officially going to be an Alien 5 and Neil Blomkamp, the director of District 9 and Elysium and... The hotly anticipated, at least by me, Chappie, uh, is going to direct it. Yeah. And he's released some concept art. He released it like a month ago and everyone was like, oh, is he going to do it? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And now he does know and he is doing it. Yeah. He just um, he just really, he just put it out on Twitter in the studio. We're like, this is pretty good. Maybe we should hire him and, and do <laughs> Alien 5. Yeah. And also Prometheus 2 is also going ahead. So right. there's going to be two concurrent 
alien universe films at different points in their history. I want to see Prometheus versus Predator. I think that's going to be the franchise crossover yes. that really, really works. So if they had announced this after District 9, I'd be like, oh, cool. But Elysium was, Elysium was kind of was kind yeah. of balls. But um, I don't know. He's got a lot of visual flair. I mean, I kind of want, I would like to see him given a big franchise. I wanted to see him do Halo, the original. I think he would yeah, have done quite I fun Halo, probably. He's got a similar thing to James Cameron in this, that like he's really interested in the aesthetics of guns and tanks and military. He's got that sort of yeah. fanboyish glee for creating worlds and machines yeah, that look yeah. used. And the problem with Elysium was just the characters. Well, the plot, a lot of things are wrong with it, but the characters are really bland. And the dialogue was terrible. But I think if he inherit, like Ripley's a cool character, and if Sigourney Weaver's like an old Sigourney Weaver Ripley, yeah, kind of, it's a cool idea. It's a cool idea. And so maybe if he gets a you know good screenwriter, maybe. Yeah, so yeah. I'm hopeful. I don't know. Have I you seen the Alien movies? Have you seen all of them? I've seen the first two. I haven't even seen any. Oh, what kind of God. film podcast host am I? Um, Katie's not happy here to hear that. <laughs> She's I've horrified. Seen the, I've seen the first two, and then I know people like the third <laughs> and the fourth. Audible facepalm at that news. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, was, I saw the first two, and then I remember the third was on TV, but I've just been told that the third and fourth were sort of disappointing, mm. and that it's best to sort of just, like, you know, pretend they don't exist. All like, they, you should just watch the, early, about them. watch the first Matrix and just forget everyone's, you know, yeah. you're better off. All I know about them is that they're, like, they're sort of interesting choices of director, but, like, bad movies. Yeah. It seems think... like the better the director, the worse the film in the, in the <laughs> Alien series, you know? Like yeah. James Cameron and Ridley Scott, I do not trust to make a good film now, but you know, made those uh, two great movies. And then Jean-Pierre Jeunet and um, David Fincher. David Fincher, yeah. Fincher's disowned that movie. Get the guy who directed Amelie. He's perfect. <laughs> this is pre-Amelie. This is after... Oh, really? Give me the is... guy who got the uh, the study of the lost children. <laughs> Delicatessen. Oh, yeah, Delicatessen, yeah. Direct this movie, you French fuck. <laughs> make it good. That's probably how the meeting went. <laughs> Birdman? <laughs> that was obviously my uh, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> One final bit of news, film yeah. chat news. Film chat news, film chat meta news. Following on from our promise to send people things if they send in correspondence, we now committing ourselves to another thing, which is doing little extra film chat tidbits available if you subscribe on iTunes. So anyway, subscribe. Yeah. So subscribe on iTunes, and we've already put up our first one of those. Ooh. But if you're a listener under 18, I don't recommend it because it is very erotic. Yes. It's very sexually explicit. It made E.L. E. James blush. <laughs> Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton. She was up with her dog and we got talking. I asked her what she does when she isn't acting. She said she likes podcasts for relaxing. Imelda, when you're in the mood, what do you listen to? Danny and I went to the cinema on a Sunday afternoon. It was a packed out cinema. Yep. I was with my girlfriend. Uh, Danny was with me. <laughs> and we spent a couple of hours watching a softcore porn film. It's sweeping the nation. It's very yeah. popular. And then we went to see Fifty Shades. And then afterwards. Hey! <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah, we saw Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, we did. Let me ask you, Danny, if you weren't doing film chat, would you have gone to see Fifty Shades of Grey anyway? Uh, probably not, to be honest with you. I think I would. Oh, yeah? Yes, it's because it has sex in it. <laughs> <laughs> I want... You're a fiend. I wanted to see, I wanted to see the sex. Oh, you, Sam. Oh, me, yeah. 
So, the plot... There are probably a few people who don't know what this is about, and for them, here's what it's about. The unassuming every girl Anastasia Steele steps in for her under-the-weather journalist flatmate and goes to interview the intimidating billionaire hunk Christian Grey. Sparks fly, and he is soon trying to persuade her to become his lover. Um, this involves very few dinner dates and plenty of sadomasochistic fun in his infamous Red Room of Pain. So, that's what it's about, and it's not about much else. There's, the plot doesn't really extend beyond the sort of will she, won't she yeah. sign his sex contract. What do you think, Danny? I think the, my overriding feeling about this movie was that it was just very dull. Yes. And what's so strange about it is it seems to be a the book or the film, it seems to be something which nobody particularly loves. No. It started off as Twilight fan fiction, but Twilight has, the, the, you know, they've got the Twihards, people who really love this book passionately, but even people who have read the book sort of think it's shit. There must be some grey hards out there. There must be some grey hards, but there's just a general feeling like the actors don't seem particularly mm. invested in the project, the director doesn't. I think E.L. James <laughs> even knows she's written this shit. And no, I th but I think maybe E.L. James is the one. She's the true believer. <laughs> she's the you true know, believer. She thinks it's, it's incredible. But there's just such an air of cynicism about the whole thing, mm. which I think really sort of drags the project down. I, I sort of felt like, I, I, I kind of um, uh, felt like you that the... Uh, you know, no one involved in the making of this movie thought that the source material was wonderful literature that was, you know, begging to be adapted into an incredible film. But I kind of got the impression that they were trying to make a good film despite it. There's this kind of tension in the movie between the attempts of the people working on the movie and the source material. Yeah. And there were reports, weren't there, of E.L. James and Sam Taylor Wood, the director, fighting over the, the movie. And E.L. James wanted it to be incredibly faithful and uh, wouldn't, like, allow her incredible dialogue to be changed. Yeah. And that kind of thing. Um, so I don't think it would ever have made a kind of great film, but, uh, maybe it's worse, um, <laughs> because of E.L. James' insistence on its faithfulness. Yeah, it seems the general critical consensus is that it's not as bad as it could have been, and the actors are kind of sort of trying... Yeah, I actually think, I think critics have been pretty good on it. Like, the, the critical consensus seems to be quite, um, sensible. Yeah. I understand the approach to try and make a proper film, but a part of me thinks it would have been more successful, maybe more fun, if it had been a bit more like, oh, my inner goddess, oh, like right. just played up the sort of camp, silly nature of the book. Yeah. I think that would have been funner to watch because part of the problem is that the movie gets increasingly duller and even like the sex scenes are like, get a bit repetitive and a bit sort of, oh, guys. Yeah, they do. Also, they have that... whip again, and it's just a bit sort of. <laughs> no one's like, it's like they're you know, it's like they're a married couple going through the motions like very quickly. Like, oh, it's Tuesday night, get get the old bondage out. Yeah, I, I think that part of the problem there is that Hollywood is still a bit like nervous about sex. Yeah, and um, it's R-rated, right? It's not NC seventeen, so yeah. they didn't go they didn't go that far. And they have to be very cautious about what they depict in um, movies um, in order to get past the classification board. It was an 18 here, so if they were only doing it for the UK market, they probably could have put all sorts of stuff in it. For anyone who's watched, like, any kind of French cinema or, like, a Lars von Trier film, it just seems ridiculously tame. Yeah. And kind of coy and, like, worried about what it's depicting. So the whole movie is about the taste of the billionaire guy for S&M, right? So uh, no one has ever made a massive mainstream film about S&M before. And given that it's breaking new ground, they don't really want to show him do anything too crazy, you know? It's kind of weird because 
presumably the audience for the movie is like adults who have come there to watch like loads of sex on the screen, right? That's yeah, the entire completely. appeal of the film. And not just sex, but like the sort of bondage sex. Yeah, it's like and, a sort of perverse interest. Yeah, so in the sort of kinkiness you know, of it. If you weren't you know, you you go in, you've agreed to go and watch some like kinky, like bondage sex, right? And yet all they dare to show you is like a little bit of red rope and like a tiny bit of like tapping with the, you know, riding crop or whatever. Yeah. It's just like a it's like a perfume ad or something. Yeah, like, yeah. It's completely. not it's, it doesn't come across as this sort of like crazy alternative sex. It really builds up how like what mental stuff she's uh, agreeing to do with him. And then you sort of see it and you're just like, it's just not, you know. Not that bad. Doesn't seem that bad. Doesn't require contract. I've seen Nymphomaniac Act Part 2, Sam yeah. Taylor Wood. I mean, if you want to see some extremely, <laughs> like, unusual sadomasochistic activity, I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Another, I'm maybe not go as far to say problem I had with the film, but remember in episode one of Film Chat, we were lamenting, the, maybe lamenting is too strong a word, the lack of on-screen dick. I would say that we, be... both, we both felt great woe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Over that, and uh, I don't. I think Dakota Johnson's like does full frontal. You see all of Dakota Johnson. She mm-hmm. Nothing's left of the imagination there. Yeah, but Jamie Dorman's got his jeans on for most of the movie. He takes his shirt off oh, a lot. But, yeah, you see his ass like once. Mm. It's like I thought this film was for like middle-aged horny women. I want to see all of Jamie Dorman. Okay, yeah. I paid my ticket. I want to see Dorman's dick. I want to see his ass. I want to see his spies, at least. I want to see his asshole. <laughs> I want to see his asshole. <laughs> I want it to be spread wide open. I want to see right in the camera there. to get right yeah, up in there. there. I want, I'm a grown man. Let I'm me show me that stuff. I'm a grown-ass man. <laughs> I want to see this stuff. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, I, you know, they got a woman to direct it, which is probably a smart move. Well, they should have got, got like a really gay guy to direct it. Almodovar. They should have got Almodovar to get direct I actually it. think they should have got Almodovar to direct it. I think they should get Almodovar to direct most movies, but... Particularly this I, material. I honestly, I honestly think Almodovar would have been a great choice. If he'd been allowed to write and direct it, I think it would have been incredible. Like, that should have been his English language debut. But yeah, yeah it's true. It's like, it's a it's a movie that's entirely about sex, and yet we don't, you know, you don't get to see genitals in it. Come on. Like, come on. Come on. We're grown-ups. It's the 21st century. We, of course, are men, Sam, but maybe we'd like to hear what some women think of Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, what do the women think? Okay, so one woman who has some thoughts about Fifty Shades of Grey, is my sister, Amy Moran. Long-term listener. She says, Did anyone else notice that in the interview scene at the beginning of Fifty Shades, <laughs> one of Jamie's eyes was bigger than the other? Coincidentally, later on in the movie, you can see that his nipples are wonky. <laughs> so, <laughs> cutting intellectual remarks from my sister here. This sidetracked me from the movie, which I thought was... I like, an... I like the use of the word coincidentally, <laughs> as though that would be deliberate. <laughs> This sidetracked me from the movie, which I thought was an alright adaptation of a poorly written book. Good casting of Dakota Johnson, and thank God they got rid of all her inner goddess bits, because that was without doubt the worst part of all the inner monologue parts. Well, she got rid of all the inner monologues, so... Yeah. <laughs> okay. Still, nothing on Gilbert Godfrey's rendition, though, which is excellent, and available yeah. on YouTube. And another woman, she writes for Bust. What's Bust? Bust is a female magazine, female-centric magazine. Right. The tagline is for a place for women to get stuff off of their chest. Very nice. Witty. So, uh, a couple of quotes from the review. The storyline is undoubtedly problematic in many of the ways the book is. But just as when the book became a best-selling women's erotic novel, we can't help but find it overall positive that a blockbuster movie was made specifically for women's pleasure. It's not an issue that uh, she, meaning Dakota Johnson's character, is naked so often in the film, considering what the film was about. And she even has pubic hair. Good move, Hollywood. It is, however, disappointing in that Christine is buttoned up so much 
more often. He'll have Anna's hands tied and completely naked while he tickles her with peacock feathers or smacks her with a flogger, but he'll still be wearing jeans. The subject matter almost requires objectification, so why not make it go both ways? Couldn't agree more, bust. Yeah. Also, one good thing the movie has is he always puts on a condom. Puts on a con- well, it doesn't always. He does it one time. Does but, it one time. But yeah, no, Even I like so. that as well. I was actually thinking when I was watching, I was like, you know, it would be good if he used a condom. Yeah. Because that's something you almost never see in sex scenes. Yeah. And uh, you should do more, and he does, and that was good. Okay, whatever. It's a it's a it's a passable softcore porn film. I, I would say that. Yeah. But if you're looking for an incredible erotic thriller, it will probably disappoint you. I would advise. Maniac Part Two. Yeah. Well, no, maybe because that's not erotic at all. <laughs> maybe buy a Mills and Boone book, and then you just get some porn up on your laptop, and just sort of read a bit. You know, watch a bit, watch a bit, read a bit, and pretty much the same. Probably yeah. hotter. Or why don't you just lie on your bed with your eyes closed and just let your mind drift, and that will probably be hotter. <laughs> just have a wank. <laughs> and now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astonishingly poor? How did Danny form the judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So Jupiter Ascending, it's been out for a while, but I went to see this the other day, and it's still doing pretty good business. Basically, it's one I th- screening. I, I assumed it was a bomb. I thought it was a total bomb. I think maybe like because of mouth. there's very few films out at the moment, yeah. and maybe it's just the counter-programming of people who don't want to see Fifty Shades right, yeah. of the films out there, and they're not like a child who wants to see a claymation sheep movie. Yeah. So who would not want who, to see that? They should. So um, I'll try as best I can to explain the plot. I'm sorry to have missed. Uh, I haven't seen this movie actually. It looked like absolute nonsense <laughs> in quite an entertaining way. So let's hear nonsense, let's nonsense, let's so okay. the story. Jupiter Jones, played by Mila Kunis, is an illegal Russian immigrant living in Chicago and working as a toilet cleaner. Unbeknownst to her, or indeed the rest of the human race, Earth is actually owned by an ancient intergalactic dynasty called the House of Abraxas. Following the death of that family's matriarch, her three primary heirs to the Abraxas, uh, the Abraxas fortune, uh, the siblings Balim, Kalik, and Titus are at war and the state of their dynasty is in turmoil. But it turns out that Jupiter has exactly the same DNA as the dead mother, making her the heir of the House of Abraxas and indeed Earth. Amazing. These three siblings are out to kill her or just have her on their side. Meanwhile, an ex-soldier called Kane, whose DNA is spliced with that of a wolf's, okay. played by Channing Tatum, is a good guy out to protect her. So where's he come from? He, it's, I don't know. Okay, he just I turns up. I don't know. So... This film is ridiculous, <laughs> um, but enjoyably so. All it's right, by good. no means a good film. I mean, it's very easy just to go through the plot and just describe it and just sort of like, this is stupid, this is stupid. Well, but, it, like, it sounds like the blurb of a sort of 10p sci-fi novel you'd pick well, up. Well, like, precisely. Yeah. But, you know, all sci-fi or fantasy literature, if you just sort of describe it in superficial terms, sounds stupid. Absurd, yeah. But it's just the problem with the movie is that just the actual storytelling is just completely incoherent. And uh, it does feel like it's adapting some huge beloved tome because it's got sequences that seem completely superfluous, but also incredibly detailed. Oh, right. Okay. So everything feels like it's there for a purpose, but none of it makes any sense. Right. Like, like they wrote this sort of like incredible <laughs> sci-fi universe and they just everything had to be in there. Yeah. But because it's like not a good film, but because it's so full of uh, sort of visuals and ideas and all this random stuff that it's sort of enjoyable. Uh, it's, you know, it's and it's unintentionally very funny at times. More on this later. Um, so to go for the good things, I think Channing Tatum is really good. Yeah. I think I might have a slight man crush on Channing Tatum. 
I just really like him in films. He's uh, everyone likes Channing Tatum. Everyone likes Channing Tatum. He's, he's bloody. He's like the male version of Jennifer Lawrence. But yeah, maybe so. And uh, he's he's just really funny. I yeah. think like Twenty One and Twenty Two Jump Street kind of proved his comic timing. Yeah, he's and hilarious. All of the movie. intentional, and the, there are a few of them in the movie. Intentional comedy beats are from him, and he's also just quite a sort of naturalistic presence. And the whole movie is completely overblown, and so is many of the performances. It just sort of stands out as like trying to do his best with his bizarre albino wolfman, yeah. lone pack character, which makes no sense. So he's a lot of fun. I can't tell if Eddie Redmayne's performance is terrible or good. <laughs> That's what <laughs> it sounds like in the trailer. Every time he turned up, uh, I just laughed out loud. He's like the main villain. <laughs> and he's hamming it up so much. He's like in a constant state of, uh, like, he's just come out of like a hot bath or something. And his lips never touch. And he just either whispers or shouts all his lines. <laughs> so it's like, I will kill her. I will harvest him. It's just like, what is he doing? <laughs> and a lot of like... Sounds amazing. The problem with the movie seems to stem from the fact that it feels like no one's been directed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like they're also turned up. He's doing this sort of performance. Someone's doing this performance. And none of it really meshes together in a satisfying way. But it's it's an enjoyable mess, whatever yeah. it is. The, <laughs> the, like, individual sequences sort of do work. There's this whole completely superfluous Douglas Adams-like sequence where Mila Kunis has got to get her citizenship on this planet and they go through a series of sort of unhelpful clerks who keep on directing them to different departments. Oh, is that the Brazil bit? Yeah, it's the Brazil bit. Brazil and bit, like yeah. where every, every new clerk is like even weirder and more unhelpful than the last one. And it's all a bit like Brazil. And then the last guy is just Terry Gilliam yeah, as like that. a doddery old man. <laughs> and, <it's, laughs> and then she gets like a little stamp which uh, has little bearing on the actual plot. Yeah. And it's like, what was that about? But I sort of enjoyed it. <laughs> this whole sequence. Meant... And it's like, sort of fates of the world are at stake, you know, have been established. And it's yeah. like this little five-minute excursion about, I don't know, bureaucracy of uh, getting through Maybe um, Maybe they see like a, a sequence of comic bureaucracy as just a sci-fi staple. Yeah. You know, it's in Futurama. It's in Douglas Adams, you know. And uh, I don't know if this is a good point or a bad point, but the dialogue is very poor, but really funny. Like, Sean Bean, who I haven't mentioned, plays Channing Tatum's ex-commanding officer whose DNA has been spice of a bee. <laughs> anyway, he uh, has a lot of hives in his little farm, and all the bees suddenly sense. like go around Myla Kunis, but don't sting her. And he says, bees are genetically programmed to recognise royalty. <laughs> <laughs> At which point there's a lot of titters from the audience. <laughs> and then he goes on this long sermon which culminates with the line, bees don't lie. <laughs> which is hilarious. That's a great line. <laughs> bees don't lie. He's a lot of fun. He just sort of turns up and gruffly says something and sort of wanders yeah, off yeah. throughout the movie. So anyway, but there's no escaping the fact that this film is just quite poorly made. And I think the biggest problem is the character of Jupiter herself. And it's, it's quite strange because the prologue of this of the movie is this whole sequence about her mum and dad in Russia, and uh, it's very it's a bit of a meet cute, and the dad loves looking at the stars and he's like we're gonna call our daughter Jupiter and it's like comedy Russian where I was like we're not calling her Jupiter and then immediately afterwards some guys burst into their house and kill him uh, don't know who they are yeah. what they're doing there <laughs> and then uh, it's her and her and her sister the mother like in a shipping container giving birth going to America. And you think the movie is going to be like uh, the immigrant story, the great American narrative from humble yeah, yeah. origins. She will ascend to become something Queen great. Of Earth. Yeah. But then the actual plot is all about she's been divinely selected 
to become queen. Which is like, that's the, wasn't that what the War of Independence was about? Yeah, Getting rid of that opposite, yeah. ideology. So it's really confused. And the fact that she's like the chosen one is like, has doesn't really give you much to invest in the character. And also, she just doesn't do anything in the film. She just becomes the plot device. Oh, yeah, she's yeah. just, the bad guys are trying to get her. The good guy, the protagonist is pretty much Channing Tatum's trying to protect her. And she just moves from person to person throughout the film. She's like the briefcase in Ronin. <laughs> Precisely, yeah. yeah. She's the briefcase. And uh, another problem is Mila Kunis's performances isn't very good. Like, her character is really poorly written and all her lines are terrible. She's like a sort of sassy American. What's going on? Oh, what? Come on. Like, it's just very irritating. You're half what? But, <laughs> like I said before, it's like she hasn't been direct. She doesn't know what she's doing. Yeah. I kind of feel bad for her. But it's like a bit like she's been told to walk across a green screen studio and then they've CGI'd like explosions later and like yeah, none yeah. of her reactions or performances correspond with the world around her. Okay, Mila, <laughs> in this scene you're being attacked by a dragon. Action. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> much that. Yeah. And yeah, she's just so passive that it's, you know, it's hard to root for her. But saying all this, I think what makes it a sort of fun movie to watch is that it's so uncynical and the Wachowskis obviously try to make this sort of great earnest film and they've failed and it's like <laughs> unlike Fifty Shades which has felt like it was made by a sort of it's like an accounting decision you know yeah, it's yeah. just you know we gotta make money off this there's like a genuine ambition behind it so I can't really recommend it but it's like if you catch it you sold me I, I wanna see it okay maybe it's one I'll download later <laughs> my favourite film stars Bridget Bardo she's the queen but she wants to be in radio so she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end one of the aspects of Fifty Shades of Grey that I really liked was the scene in which he presents her with a contract and then they go over it um, mm. together in a boardroom and they're deciding yeah. how their sex relationship is going to work, whether um, vaginal fisting is appropriate and so on. Certainly. So I have drawn up a contract um, okay. between me and you for how Film Chat will operate. Okay, Dick. Uh, most of it, you'll see it's quite long. Um, oh it's quite God. substantial. Wow. And uh, most of that is just boilerplate legalese. I wouldn't worry too much about it. Okay. But I've just highlighted a couple of sections and I want to draw your attention to them. Sure. Here's one of them. Can you read that out? So uh, Sam must refer to Danny as Danny, Dan, Daniel, or simply this one here. Danny must refer to Sam as Mr. Sam, Sam Cool, or Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz, sorry. Yeah, Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz. Yeah. I can, yeah, I can get on board with you that. You can't call me Hot Fuzz. That would breach the contract. Okay, Hot Fuzz. Thank you. Much better. All right, there's a little section here. Every half hour during recording, a meal will be served. <laughs> the meal must be large. <laughs> well, surely that's an issue for uh, our producer. Yeah, large meal every half hour. Large meal every half an hour, please, Katie. She's shaking her head, doesn't seem that. She's shaking her head affirmatively or negatively? Well, I think where Katie's from, that means yes. Okay, so it's section 1.9.0. Oh, God, this is quite long, isn't it? Uh... Every podcast must include background sound effects that make us sound like we are somewhere cool, e.g. a mountain chalet or a nuclear submarine. I can, get, Katie, I, really. I can get on board with that. Here's the final one, section 8.8.8.8. .8 if there is a material delay during recording, the party responsible will be punished by being sent to a red room of pain. This will consist of a normal room painted a particularly garish shade of red. <laughs> There's nothing worse. <laughs> that's, that's it. There's nothing worse than the garish red in a room. That's my idea of a red room of pain. <laughs> You know what a stickler I am for wall colour. Anyway, so I'll have my lawyers send that to your lawyers yeah. and we'll have that signed off. That sounds um, reasonable. All right. I don't sign contracts. I fuck. 
hard. <laughs> uh, well, um, I take that as uh, legally binding, so that can work as well. Thanks for listening, Thanks everyone. For listening. It's been a pleasure um, having you listen, um, I imagine. <laughs> uh, Film Chat News, I am going to be watching the Oscars live and live tweeting. So if you're up and about at 2 a.m. in the morning. How are you going to be watching them? Uh, I'm going to my can mate they, Joe's house and he's okay. going to, he's like a computer genius. He just stream it straight from a satellite. Don't know how it works. So if not, either join me live or catch Monday morning and yeah. I'll have a whole live tweet catch up. All uh, right. All right. We're being wrapped up. Some We're being wrapped shoved up, out. Shoved out. Bounded. Tied up. Tied up. Yeah. We're, we're being <laughs> spanked. We're being tied up and spanked, which means it's tough. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'd write the show. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. Bye.